Hey, church. How are you guys doing? Thank you for coming back and help support me. You're like my support group. I need a support group. I've really been amazed that Pastor Eric and Cheyenne have been able to do what they've been able to do. Uh, singing to an empty church and speaking to an empty church is a unique thing. Uh, knowing that the camera's there and knowing that people are watching online is wonderful. But the reality for me is I needed some faces. I like to get that feedback. And uh, since I haven't gone in a couple of months, I think the last time I went, um, they were selling toilet paper on Santa Ana and little vending stands. <laughs> right? I mean, a lot has changed in the last few months. And so it makes sense. Father's Day, I get to get, come up here, celebrate Josh. Uh, Josh is also a Vanguard graduate in pastoral studies. And so watching his commission into, into ministry, Jimmy and Heather, you know, they've been part of our young adult ministry I mean, look at the young adult ministry God's been able to bless. We've got, we've got people that have been doing missions work. We've got people that are leading. We've got people that are singing. We've got people upstairs, downstairs, everywhere. So we're really blessed to have you here because it's Father's Day. And I get to speak, and I'm a father, and I'm not, I can tell you right now, I'm going to do some mushy stuff. There's going to be some mushy stuff. We need some encouragement, right? It's been a really rough two, three months. So God's Word is encouraging. We're going to be studying God's Word today in Acts 16, 1 through 5. But it's an incredible passage about mentoring. It's an incredible passage how Paul takes Timothy kind of under his wing and teaches him. So in light of Father's Day, in light of a little needed for mushy, I thought I would share this story with you. Uh, my dad, you know, Father's Day, my dad decides to get surgery for cancer on his face. And uh, unfortunately, they ended up having to take quite a bit more. And so he was quite a bit beat up on Saturday when I picked him up. Had to take him to the ER. He had some extensive bleeding. Doesn't sound very happy right now, I know, but it gets better. All of a sudden, we were in the foyer of the hospital, and I saw this little baby bird, this little swift, uh, trapped inside of there. And uh, the fatherly instincts inside of me, I wanted to run and save that bird. But right then, I had my dad, who was in a lot of pain, and I needed to get him to his appointment. And so I just said a little prayer in that foyer. I said, Lord, would you let that little bird get out of there? You know, the glass doors, they're trapped in there. And my heart was like going out to him. But I got to run through with my dad. Fifteen minutes later, with my dad upstairs, doctor didn't show. We had to transfer him to another office. He's still in a lot of pain. We come downstairs, and that little baby Swift had been flying back and forth and hitting those glass doors back and forth for 15 minutes. He decided just to lay down in the corner and call it a day. As my dad goes walking out, I said, Dad, wait a second. I got to do something here. I stick my toe down to the little bird, and I said, I'll help you out if you'll let me. You know, talk about crazy pastor. I'll help you out if you'll let me. I'm talking to a bird. And the bird, and the bird tries to fly away, and as he does, he hits the window again, and he lands on my head. And, and I'm standing in the foyer with a bird on my head, and I'm talking to nobody because he's on my head, and I'm like, Lord, let me walk this bird out, please. Just so, I need a win for today. My dad's really hurt. This is really bad. And I start walking towards the door, and as the door opens, it spooks him again. And he flies to that little hand, you know, cleaning stand that we have back there, right there on the perch. And I looked at him, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm crazy. I mean, at this point, it's full-blown crazy talk for Pastor Lee. I'm like, bird, I want to get you out, man, but you got to let me help you. And so I'm walking towards him again, and he's sitting on this little perch. I'm like, dude, I got you, you but you got to work with me. And so I'm, I, I'm like sticking my finger, like he's a parakeet, right? Like one of my brain is like, he's, he's a wild bird. And I stick my finger out, and he walks onto my finger. And, I, and I'm talking to him. I'm like, I'm talking to him. Well, we're going to do this, dude. We, we're going to do this. We're going to go. Meanwhile, my dad's outside, right? He's bleeding. He's got all his trauma going. And I walk him towards the door, and this time it opens, and I walk him to the bush, and he's still looking at me, and I set him on the bush, and I go, be free. And I tell you, like, it changed my whole art, changed my whole mentality for the rest of the day. I mean, went to the doctors. My dad had a bunch of stuff done. He's doing better at home. 
But man, just, just involving yourself in helping someone else. Now, I'm going to close later today with what I think God actually taught me from that story because it's incredible that we could mentor, that we could invest our life into something that needs help and that God could use us. So with that in mind, let me just shamelessly play some pictures of my grandchildren. Can I do that for you? No corny video on Father's Day for us. Let me put this first light up here and just show you something. That right there is the reason for being a father. That right there is the reason why Jimmy and Heather are making this great commitment. There's no greater blessing in our life than our children, right? There's no greater blessing in our life than the legacy. But I'm a grandparent. So for me, I'm, I'm enjoying this wonderful role of being a mentor, right? I get to walk with my new granddaughter, Whitney. I get to walk with her, and I get to show her, and I get to be something for her that her parents are going to try to be one thing, but I get to try to be something else. I get to be the grandpa that shows her faith, that talk, talks to her about fishing, talks to her about boys, and gets to do everything. And I'm really excited to share that with this little one. Go to the next one. But better than that is my five-year-old grandson who's going to, there he is. My grandson's now five. I know I don't look like an old grandpa, but I am, my grandson's five. And you know what? He got two fishing poles from me on his birthday. One for the bathtub because he's still five, but a real one because now I want him to start feeling what a real fishing pole comes like. And he already knows how to pray. He already knows who Jesus is. What a blessing to mentor as a grandparent. What a blessing to come alongside of a child. All right, show the next picture. Come on. That's my daughter, Dallas. You guys know Dallas. She sings up here all the time. Not only is Dallas an avid singer, but she can fish, right? I have had the privilege of walking alongside Dallas and teaching her how to fish. Now, this has been wonderful. She's allowed me to send her to a Christian college and graduate from that. But show me, let me show this next picture. The reason why is because it all started when Dallas was a little girl. And she gave me the privilege of baptizing her. And in that privilege of baptizing my daughter, that's out in San Clemente. You know, when I had that ministry out in the desert, every year I would take kids, I would take our student ministries to San Clemente, and we would, all the kids that got saved that year, we would have a massive baptism every summer. And one summer I got the privilege of baptizing my young daughter. And I can tell you the greatest privilege of mentoring someone is knowing they're still walking with Christ today. She's a young lady who walks with Christ today, and she can fish. Good. Next picture. This is my son. This is a recent Fibbers trip. Fibbers has come join the church. And the best thing about this is I, I raised my son to fish. I raised my son to be a man, uh, and I raised my son to be godly. And the reality of that, can you please show the next picture? That was him kicking my tail on a boat with two yellowtails, is when he was a small boy, I got a chance to do something with him. I got a chance to mentor him and baptize him. I got a chance to be not just his dad, but be his friend in that moment and tell him, you know what, son? There's going to be really important things in life. There's going to be times when you have to give up things. And this is an opportunity to stand in front of family and friends and make that commitment. At that same baptism, I also had a chance to baptize my wife, but I didn't put that in there because I was still teaching someone else. This is my oldest daughter. This is Courtney. This is her at Mission Bay when she's probably 9, 10 years old. And we, you know, it's really important for a dad to pass something on, to mentor, to show your kids what it's all about. Show this next picture. But the reality for me, the thing I'm most proud of is that she married a godly man. She married a man who loves God more than anything else. And because of that, that family is being raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That little clan right there, that little precious clan right there, all has the same commitment that Jimmy and Heather just made. To train up wit, to train up Warren in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So when they are old, they will know who Jesus Christ is, Lord and Savior. I hope that they will fish too. But more importantly, they need to know who the Lord is. You show the next picture. This is me. Recently, I, I've been in quarantine, but you know what the funny thing is? I've been preaching and teaching and sharing down at the beach. When you catch a fish that big at the beach, guess what happens? Quarantine is officially over and everyone comes running. 
Everyone comes down. And so with my mask on, I get to share people about Lighthouse Community Church, about our fishing ministry, Fibbers, about all kinds of things. And I hope in the very near future that you guys will actually meet some of the people that I have met during quarantine while fishing. Because God has allowed me to catch some fish. But you know what my greatest catch is? My greatest catch is my wife. There's no such thing as... There is no such thing as a happy Father's Day without a happy mother, right? Happy wife, happy life. And you know what? We're celebrating 30, 35 years? I don't know. We got married in 85, so whatever that is. I think it's about 35 years this year. And I can tell you this. Thank you, fathers. Thank you, mothers, for making it all work. But the opportunity to, you know, that's our Disney picture. We love Disney. We miss Disney. But I'm really grateful. But let me tell you something, finish with something more than that, because that's mushy. Let me put this last picture up, Mark. Today I'm going to tell you about a guy named Paul because Paul does something with Timothy that I think is amazing. What he does is he takes him under his wing and he takes him out on the road and he shows him how to eat crow. He shows him how to eat manna every single day and be happy. He explains to him something, that there's going to be a cost for your freedom. There's going to be a cost for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. To go and to speak Jesus to other people is going to cost you. And so let me tell you right now what it's going to cost you. That is a picture of the last time my dad took us to Bishop. We are four generations of high Sierra fishermen. And one of the things I can tell you about my dad teaching me how to fish is that anytime you teach someone how to fish, it costs you the freedom of fishing yourself, right? Any of you that's ever taught somebody something, you can't fish and teach someone else to fish. And so many different times my dad would have to give up fishing in order to teach me to fish. And when I would drop my bag of fish on top of a hornet's nest and run away screaming, oh, my, my fish, my fish, my fish, who would go in there and rescue those fish? My dad, Right. My dad has taught me a lot of different things. He's taught me how to work hard. He's taught me how to love God. And he's taught me how to be faithful to his wife. And for that, and also to take over the TV when you get home from work, I'm very grateful. (laughs) Dad, I love you. I hope you feel better. I know your face is all smashed up. I'm grateful the doctors can help you. But God bless you for everything that you've done. The reality for today is, guys, is as much as everything has changed in the world, there is one true focal point that we do have. You guys remember Eric's message way back when? Uh, north, north, uh, oh gosh, here I come off. True north, true north. You know, God has always been our true north the entire time that we've been in the storm. He is our anchor point, He is our waypoint. And if we can just focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you could just stay focused on that no matter what happens, when it happens, then you will understand something about today's message. To be a father, to be a mother, to be a mentor, to be a role model, whatever capacity you're going to play, today's message is going to encourage you. It's worth it. You're going to make a difference. And if you only make a difference in one life, it's still worth it. Let me pray as I get ready to read. We're going to be reading again in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, the incredible account of uh, Timothy and Paul. Father God, I just thank you for what has been a very interesting two and a half months. It has been a challenge. It has been difficult. And there has been, in fact, great adversity. But there's also been great joy. There's been an opportunity to restore your building to a beauty that perhaps it has never even known. There's been an opportunity to see faith moving through families in quarantine. I actually think that for some families, it's the first time they were forced to be family again. 
What a blessing that you took something as adverse as a disease, as an infection, and instead turned it into an opportunity for families to hang out. Has it been awkward? Yes. Has it been difficult? Yes. Because a lot of us have forgot what it's like to be family, to hang out with our kids, to eat dinner with them, and to go to bed. You know, the Deuteronomy said, write it on their doorposts. Tell them when they wake up. Tell them when they go to bed. This is the way it once was. We were about family all day long, and I think we've kind of lost perspective of it. So thank you for creating a situation to remind us to keep that main thing the main thing. Father, may everything that we continue to say and do, not just in this building, but in our own lives, continue to represent your amazing son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's read and let's get into this. So this is uh, verse 16. I'll turn this, get some light. Verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers there at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. That's of Timothy. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders from the church in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And the churches were strengthened in faith. And they grew daily in numbers. Now, before we go forward with this, let's just step back a little and kind of build up what's happening. Um, Back in chapters 14, Paul and Barnabas actually were in these same towns before, about five years earlier. And the last time Paul and Barnabas were there, um, they had some pretty good success. There was this gentleman that had been lame for a long period of time. And when Paul and Barnabas came to town, they were able to heal him. And so much so that the town was so excited about it that they thought that Paul and Barnabas might have been demigods and they wanted to bring sacrifice to them. And when Paul and Barnabas said, no, we're not. We're just regular men just like you, but we are here to tell you about the one true king. That didn't work out so well for them. So this began the illustrious career of Paul's stoning where they took him outside the city and left him for dead. If any of you ever followed kind of the journeys of Paul, Paul gave up on a regular basis his opportunity to even life, snake-bitten, shipwrecked, stoned multiple times for the opportunity to take the word of God to the Jewish community. And along that way, they had this other gentleman that joined him named John Mark. Now, John Mark and Barnabas had like a family connection, but unfortunately, John Mark had decided to kind of exit stage left at one point of the the, um, mission. And because he exited from that situation, when they're getting ready to go on the second mission trip in verse 16, Barnabas says, hey, I want to take John Mark again. Paul says to him, you know what? I'm going to let you guys go your own way. I'm going to grab Silas, and I'm going to head out. And that's really cool that he took Silas, because Silas is from the church in Jerusalem, okay? Paul is from the church in Antioch. And what he's going to show, he's going to show that Jerusalem and Antioch, these first two major churches, they're together. And they're in that like-mindedness. They're going to be able to go out and provide all the information that the council just decided. Um, And the council's decisions were about circumcision, interesting enough. And the first thing they do when they head north is to go right back to Derby and Lister, the places that they first went and church planted, to see what's going on. Now, one thing about Paul. Paul is the the most proficient missionary that the world has ever seen. And Paul's specialty is to go where the gospel is not. Right? He's not going to try to go, even later on, he's not going to try to go where he's already been unless he's going there to strengthen them. He's always about strengthening the church, strengthening the leadership, and making sure that what God has begun continues. So when they get back to the churches, they find out that the church is not only doing well, but there's a young man there, a teenager, a teenager that happens to be like-minded like Paul. Now, like-minded is a word in the Bible that basically means of one accord. So Timothy's like-minded because he has a heart for people, and Paul has a massive heart for people. 
And so because of that, uh, later on in Philippians 2.19, Paul says, he's so like-minded and cares for people that I kind of want him to be with me. Timothy had a heart for the scriptures as well. And Timothy's cool because he represents the first generation of the second generation of believers. He's, he's, his parents, uh, his mom, Eunice and Lois, his grandmother, have actually worked with him and walked with him and led him to the Lord. But his Greek father has not done anything about faith for him at all. And I think that's another interesting point right there. If you come from a situation where you have an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving parent, and you think, I wonder if there's any uh, precedent for this child still having a chance. Right here, the gentlemen that we're studying today, Paul and Timothy. Timothy is an absolute byproduct of a family with two parents, one being a non-believer. But that Greek mother, the, excuse me, that Greek father who had nothing to do with it, the mother and the grandmother decided to pour into that young boy and make sure that he was. And I find that interesting that Timothy's going to get all this time and attention, and uh, he's going to get such a great investment. Now, Paul not only begins to invest in him right here by deciding to take him out with him on a mission, but have you guys ever heard of the book of First and Second Timothy? Hey, what about that for a connection? He's actually going to continue to mentor this young man for a period of time. And that's why when we read 1 Timothy and we read something like, don't let anyone look down on your youth, right? We've all used that passage. But now you can understand why. It's coming from his mentor. It's coming from the guy that God has given him to take him under his wing and walk with him. Why? Because he has no father? No, he has a father, a Greek non-believing father. But that's not the point. The point is there's an opportunity for Paul to intercede in this young man's life, and he's going to take it, and he's going to teach him things, and he's going to show him things, and he's going to write things to him and say, hey, look, you need to flee youthful lust, Second Timothy, right? If you read Timothy now, understanding the correlation of how Paul has been spending time with him and how he's been walking with him, you'll understand. And when I conclude, I'm going to tell you a couple more things that in the end, Timothy becomes and has the great opportunity of doing. So in this capacity, Paul is the mentor, Timothy is the mentee, and mentos are what they eat. No, that's not. I don't know. This whole weekend, that's all I can think about. Mentor, mentee, mentos. No, they're going to eat crow. They're going to eat manna, Josh. I mean, the world that we live in is, you know, telling us, oh, it's going to be so great. Have your best life ever. The best life ever has nothing to do with this passage in Scripture. From the, from the initial commission of Timothy, like we just commissioned little James Jr., we, we, we take a picture with him, and we sing, and we celebrate. That's a pretty good commissioning, right? Timothy's a teenager, so we have just a few in, sometimes in the building. The, Timothy's a teenager, and his first commission is going to be, be circumcised. So just let that settle in. Next time you think you've—it's a big ask to ask kids to do stuff. Paul's first ask from Timothy— a teenager that he just met to go on a mission trip where the last time he was there, he was stoned and left for dead outside of the city. Come with me. But before we go, I need to, you know, have you circumcised. Now, I don't know about you, but talk about keep the main thing, the main thing. Didn't they just say back in 1520 and verse 15, wasn't that the whole point of the council saying that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised? If Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, what is the point of Timothy being circumcised? Well, remember, his mom is what? Jew, and his dad is Greek. So he has enough Jewish lineage that Paul says, hey, look, if this could be an impedance, if this can be a barrier, then it's got to go. Why? Because we can't have anything stop us from sharing God's word. And I don't think Timothy was going to say anything about it. I think he was willing to do it because here was a chance for him to go out and be with not only just someone, but this guy was like the veteran of veterans, 
Right? This was the guy that came through his town five years ago, and the first time he heard about faith, and the first time he saw God working, he saw it in this guy. And now this guy standing in front of him saying, hey, I want to take you with me, and we're going to go, and it's going to be awesome. There's going to be some problems, but before we even go, I need you to consider this. Mentors are willing to remind believers that there's a cost to our freedom. There's a cost to our freedom. You know, parents try to tell their kids sometimes there's a cost, and sometimes they won't listen to you, parents. But this is where the opportunity of being like a grandparent, that we can come alongside those kids and tell them, hey, you know what? Every decision that you make, whether anyone knows about it or not, every decision you make has a cost. And sometimes you have these Christian freedoms that allow you to think, you know what? I don't want to wear this. I find this to be offensive and problematic, and I can't breathe, and it looks silly, and I'm not going to wear it. And you know what? There's people right now that says, based on your legal rights, you have some legal right from the Constitution to not wear it. But I'm going to tell you this. If this is impeding you from being able to share the gospel with someone, and this is just a small little mask, think about what Timothy's being asked to remove so that he can just go share God's word. What I thought about this week when I thought about Christian freedoms is all of us have rights, inalienable rights. All of us have freedoms that God has given us. But what Paul's trying to teach him is this, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. I am willing at this cost to become all things to all people so that what? Some might be saved. I mean, it is the quintessential verse. It happens to be my life verse. The willingness to become all things to all people to meet someone where they are. So that what? That you might share the gospel. Guys, there's only one main thing. There's only one reason to mentor, to parent, to grandparent. There's only one reason to show up at church. There's only one reason we're doing any of this. Is that some might be saved. If you didn't know that, if you hadn't thought about that in a while, then you need to remind yourself that is the main thing. And Paul said, it doesn't matter though I'm free. I consider myself indentured. I consider myself bonded. I will do whatever I have to take so that we can sit at the same table and have a discussion. And I know for you, Timothy, as a teenager, me asking you to do that seems insane. But I want you to think of it like this. It's like baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision, right? It does not save you. It doesn't do anything other than allows you to publicly confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now I get it, baptism versus circumcision, those are pretty two dramatic takes. But for one gentleman recently, you guys remember when Tom got baptized, he was 80 years old, never been in water his whole life, and the thought of being baptized was absolutely terrifying for him. So it was a huge ask. And sometimes we have to think about that. Because we have freedom, because we have these rights, do we have to? No, we never have to do anything. All you have to do is ask Jesus Christ in your life, and pretty much, if you want to write it, you can write it to whatever degree you think you can. The thief on the cross, what did he do? How much time did he have to do anything? But you get to. Your Christian freedoms allow you the opportunity to walk with a veteran, to walk with a mentor, to say, hey, look, why do I need to do this? And then the mentor steps in and says, because of this, the barrier that you would have when you came to a Jewish home is you would be seen as not real. You would be seen as not authentic. And someone who doesn't like not authentic is me. Like there's a commercial on TV right now where this guy's supposedly ice fishing in a $150,000 car with leather seats. And he's dressed in like $4,000 worth of clothing. 
And then he casually walks out on the ice and sets his little ice rig down and then with binoculars watches his ice rig. And then the flag goes up and he nonchalantly walks back over. I don't believe that actor anymore. I, don't, I wouldn't buy that car anymore. I want nothing to do with any of that stuff anymore. Right? I don't, that's nothing to me. It's all, it's all lie to me. I want the guy who drags the outhouse over the ice, right? That guy in Minnesota that he built this little shed with his friends one weekend. It's totally not safe. They almost killed people dragging it down to the lake. They cut a hole in the thing. It's probably not even thick enough ice. The, 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 little, the little hut could be cracking the ice, and they start a fire in there. They don't care. They're making Ditney more beef stew and eating weenies, and they're fishing. And if they catch something on their little micro pole, they're screaming. I want to fish with those guys. Right? And I think that's what Paul's saying. It's like, Timothy, hey, look, it may not be a lot to you, but this is going to be a barrier to them. And that's what we have to make consideration of. Paul was not an attorney trying to argue people into the kingdom of God, by the way. Right? Who, do you know anyone who's argued anyone into the kingdom of God? That wasn't his thing. Paul instead, instead was making himself a servant whose goal was to talk to people, share with people, show people. This is why the kingdom of God is worth it. And this is why he is the king of kings. And this is why he is the Messiah. And you guys just need to listen to me and whatever I have to do to tell you. It's interesting, though, when you ask Timothy, first thing to do that, I mean, it's, it's radical, right? But I want to tell you something. Later on, he's going to take Titus with him in Galatians. And when Paul takes Titus with him, who's a Gentile, and his parents are Gentiles, guess what he doesn't ask him to do? So it's very specific and very unique to this individual because of his Jewish background. And I want you to understand that because part of what the Jewish council decided was that Gentiles did not have to do this. Sometimes people are always trying to find these conflicts within God's word to say, oh, see this and see this. But it's very specific and this makes perfect sense. Titus, if you go look it up in Galatians 2, 3 through 5, was a Gentile from Gentile parents, went on a mission trip, and Paul even says he was not asked to be circumcised. All this is to do one thing. Prepare Timothy spiritually to go do battle, right? You're going to be going to places where they're going to stone you. They might not like you. They might say things. And they're going to try to come behind you and nitpick and tell you different things. There was this amazing group of nitpickers called the Judaizers. All these different things were going to be trying to cannibalize something that Paul wanted to instill in young Timothy's heart. And that is don't let anyone look down on your youth. Matter of fact, I'm going to write you a letter in about a year or so. And I'm going to remind you just how important this is. Instead, I'm going to lay down my privileges. I'm going to lay down my right to fish. I'm going to lay down my opportunities so that I can teach you how to do this, right? The old saying, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime, right? I'm going to show you. I'm going to share with you. I'm going to walk with you. I think Paul's basically saying, I'm the ultimate big brother. I'm the ultimate life-on-life expert. Let me show you what it means and what the cost is. If along the way, someone says that you eating fish is a problem, guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to not eat fish for the day. That doesn't mean I won't eat fish later, but if along the way something happens and someone says, hey, that doesn't work for me, I'm going to make consideration of what? The stronger and weaker brother. Timothy's learning valuable life lessons that will make a difference in the rest of his life because the cost of humility is a freedom. You might have a right to eat fish. You might have a right to drink wine. I mean, Jesus' first miracle, let's be honest here, Jesus' first miracle, if wine in and of itself is problematic, then how does Jesus drink, create wine in his first miracle? And that's a documented fact. 
because we're taking scripture out of context when it says, be not drunk with wine, right? All these different things, Timothy, I'm going to explain them to you. I'm going to help establish kind of the DNA in your life. Since your dad's not taking this role and it's open, I'm going to jump in and supersede because I see a value in it. And what a legacy he ends up developing. From this mission trip, as they go along, as they begin to share, what are they sharing? They're sharing the discovery that the council in Jerusalem made. They're sharing that discovery, which is that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised and all the different things. And the people are being strengthened. The churches are growing in numbers. And the leadership is being solidified. Because they're seeing the church of Antioch and the church of Jerusalem coming together for the sake of being like-minded. Why? So that Jews and Gentiles can sit at the same table. And why do I keep saying Jews and Gentiles? Because Paul's primary focus was Jews first, then Gentiles. Because of that, he sought out the Jewish places first to go speak. He had, a, he had a heart for them. He had a burden for them. God had given him that. I don't know if God's given you a burden for somebody. If God's given you a burden for something, you need to make sure you do whatever you do to get to those people. And if that meant those people stoned him, threw rocks at him, said names, shipwrecked, snake bit, whatever it was, it wasn't going to stop him from staying focused on that main thing. Go to the Jews first, go to the Gentiles, and tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection that he is, in fact, the true Messiah. And what happens in the end? In the end, Timothy is there when Paul writes Romans. In the end, Timothy becomes this comforter like Barnabas was. Timothy becomes this person that Paul can count in. I don't know about you, but a lot of people in seminary would tell you Romans is one of, if you're going to be stranded on a desert island, Romans is one of the books you could study the rest of your life and just be blessed and encouraged by. And Timothy's part of Paul's writing that. In the end, even when Paul finally leaves him, as Timothy is now older and wiser, and his faith in the church is now established, Timothy becomes one of the first bishops in the church of Ephesus. What a legacy we can leave our kids. What a legacy you can leave your kids. What a legacy you can pour into as grandparents or mentors or big brothers or big sisters to somebody else's child. That you would walk with them and make that long-term Proverbs 22.6 commitment to train up a child in the way that he or she should go. So that, that when they do, what happens? They follow God at full cost, knowing full well, this is not the best life that we're going to have. The Bible makes it perfectly clear, in this life, you will have trials, you will have tribulations. There's still things that make it wonderful, but that's not what it's about. It's about giving up your freedoms for the sake of getting that other brother or sister to the table so we can sit down and talk. I don't know about you guys, but even though we've been off this whole time, that's not stopped for me. It's been nonstop, and the cost of that sometimes is extreme. Extreme, but it's always worth it. Right? Because why, why did Paul say it? I do it for the one. One particular any. I become all things to all people so that someone else can know Christ. If you keep the main thing the main thing, then this is what you'll need to rem- remember. Evangelize the world at any and all cost right now as soon as possible because it's a limited time offer. Take somebody with you, put them under your wing, and start walking out there because it is a limited time offer to bring the gospel to the world. If it's the Jews first and then the Gentiles, fine. But ask God to make clear to you what is your path, what is your burden, what is your commission, and how can you begin on it? And then start with that first and foremost. Evangelize today. Go share the love of Christ with someone today. Walk and teach the next generation. Don't just tell them. 
Walk and teach the next year. Don't just tell them. People don't want to be told anymore. They have Siri for that. If they want information, they can just ask Siri. Right? Some things can't be taught. They have to be caught. I don't know where we got that in school, but man, that makes a lot of sense. You can't just teach everything. Some things they have to learn by, by watching and seeing how it happens. And another component of that is because it's, it can't be bought. It's not for sale. How do you teach someone to go on a missions trip? You, you take them on a missions trip, right? You got, you got to put them in. The, we can't tell our kids about church. We can't tell our kids there's things to do and then not do those things with them. If we got to go to a place that feeds families and wear masks and feed homeless people so that we can have that conversation, then that's what we need to do. That's keeping the main thing the main thing. Don't just tell them about it. Figure out how you can be it. And if you're having a hard time doing it, maybe someone else can walk with you. Remember the stronger and weaker brother. Remember the stronger and weaker brother. Remember the goal is salvation, not being right. The goal is salvation, not that you're right. Remember, Paul's not an attorney. His goal is not to, oh, yeah, you believe that, and I need to do this. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, okay, I understand this is a problem for you. This is circumcision is a problem for you? Okay, well, let's just do that. Even though I don't have to, let's just do that so that we can talk. What do I have to do so that you and me can talk about Jesus Christ? And I'm willing to remove, Paul writes, remove any hindrance, right? That's Paul. Remove any hindrance that stops you from bringing the gospel to a lost world. And ultimately, I just wanted to tell you this. Thank you all, all of you, for what you do and how you do it. Whether you're a parent, like Eric said, whether you're a father and you're having a really awesome role with your kids, or whether you're a mom who's lost the dad and now you're playing a dual role, whether you're a grandparent just jumping in because it's available, or whether you're jumping in with someone else's kids completely different outside of anything else because God has allowed you a burden to do that. Thank you for seeing the value and mentoring and caring for other people's children. For Timothy, it made a big difference. And for any of us that study God's word and get to see what happened to Timothy, Timothy's exclusive DNA is not just of his parents. The fingerprints of Paul are all over Timothy's life. Before I conclude, I want to just tell you one final thought. You know that little bird that was flying around? That that foyer was maybe 50 yards wide, all glass windows. He could see the outside world the entire time he kept flying into that wall. And he thought, I'm going to be free, because that's the same look that he once knew before. He just kept flying and hitting, flying and hitting, flying and hitting. At some point, he realized something. I'm not getting out of here, right? And in that moment where he quit and he gave up on life and sat in the corner and said, I'm just going to die, looking in the little corner at what used to be because I can't get out. Something happened for that little bird. The little bird became available to be assisted. This is what God taught me this weekend. Some of us as parents have been chasing that bird back and forth in the lobby and and thinking, I got to help him. I got to help him. I got to help him. When he's full of energy or she's full of energy or whatever, we're we're chasing something that at at the moment does not want to be helped. And we're wasting valuable energy ourselves. Remember, all I did was pray as I saw the bird, and I went upstairs because I had other things that God needed me to do. But then when I saw that moment, when I saw that opportunity, and the bird was down and in the corner and had given up, that's when my crazy mind kicked on and said, maybe I can jump in and help that bird right now. And that's what God said to me. This is a message kind of wrapped up. I'm waiting to help you. You've got to stop flying back and forth in the window of life. You've got to stop trying to figure it all out. I will send someone to you to walk with you. By the way, his name is called the Holy Spirit. Right? The paraclete. 
The one who what? Walks alongside. I have someone that I will send to you that will walk you out of the building that you're trapped in. You can see life all around you. You can think that you're free, but you're going to die in that lobby. You will never experience life without Christ. If you're watching today and you're hearing this for the first time, I want you to understand something. You're flying around in the lobby of life and you think you're living. You haven't even got outside the building yet. You can't get outside the building until you give up and realize you need to do three things. You need to accept the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. That's what Paul said. I'm willing to go anywhere. I'll travel the entire globe if I have to. Give me one person. Give me two people. I'll travel the entire globe saying one thing. Jesus Christ died for you. You need to believe that. You need to put your faith in him. You need to put your hope in him. You need to just receive his forgiveness for everything that he's done for you. And what happens in that moment? He extends his hand to you and he brings you in. And he lifts you up and he walks you outside into a new life. Where you get to do what you were designed to do, little bird. I don't know what swifts do. They have a cool name. I don't know what they do. I don't know why they do it. I just wanted him to do it. I knew he couldn't do it in that foyer. I guarantee you the next time you're in Costco or one of those big box stores and you see a bird flying around in the rafters, your mind's going to be triggered. I wish I could help that bird. At some point, that bird will get tired of flying around, guys, and he will come down. And when he comes down, he will walk, and someone will have the opportunity to put a box over him or to put a net over him or do something with him and take him outside so that he can live again. And that's what we need to realize today is Timothy, he was fine. He, you know, he made a decision for faith, but he was made better. He was set free when someone decided to walk alongside of him and invest in him, and he became a cornerstone of that first church, a bishop at the first church of Ephesus. Think about that today. If you can help another family out, maybe there's a family you know whose kid's struggling. Maybe you can come alongside of them and invest in the day. Maybe you could change the next Timothy's life to be the man or woman of God that God intended them to be the whole time. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here, and I'm going to close in prayer. Father God, this morning just reminds me so much that uh, so often we, we want to be in control of everything. We have energy, we have mind, we have all these different skills, and we think, I, I'm just going to fly around. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go here, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be really busy. And by being really busy, I, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things, so it must be good. But the truth is we're just banging our head against this glass wall that's just got us trapped inside this foyer of life. I can remember the time in my life where, you know, at a camp, 1978, Hume Lake, you know, I, just, I just thought something's wrong with this whole picture. Something's wrong with what I understand. I really need to be freed from myself. And you, and you did that for me. And now I wake up every morning with the same thought like Timothy. He's like, what can I do today? What, what freedom have you given me that I can give up today that I might take the word of God out to somebody? What person can I meet while fishing or going to the gas station or just going to the grocery store? How can I be a light in this dark place? Because it's a limited time offer, Lord, and people need to wake up to that. There's always been floods. There's always been famines. There's always been pandemics. There's, there's always going to be until the Lord returns. But what there's not always going to be is a chance to share the name of Jesus with the world. Father, please help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Please continue to send those mentors, those parents, those godparents, those family members, big brothers, big sisters, whatever you can to walk alongside of us and remind us, okay, you may not, you may not be winning today, but the scoreboard reads in the end, Jesus wins. And we're on his team. 
And we need to just get past this inning and get to the next one because the rally's coming, guys. The rally is coming, but we have to get up and keep playing. Father, thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross. We do it all and say it all in his precious and holy name. Amen. Yeah.
My goodness, I forgot how wonderful it was to get to worship with family in the same stinking room. It's good. And next week, I'm really looking forward to seeing many of you with us as we're worshiping in here uh, all together. But today, as Jeff was talking about raising up the next generation, one of the things that really struck me is the fact that Timothy was young when he started uh, going on mission with Paul. He saw a lot of things, grew up really fast, but he didn't stay a kid. The thing about the next generation is at some point you have to let them go. And Paul ultimately left Timothy later on in his life to oversee the church in Ephesus. He was, First and Second Timothy are writ- written to a young pastor of a community in a city that was very fractious. And this morning, I feel like it would be fitting to close with a blessing, a prayer that Paul writes to that church living in Ephesus. I think it's an important one for us to sit in as well. So if you'd bow your heads with me, let me just pray this blessing written now from Grandfather Paul to a community of people being overseen by his son in the faith, Timothy. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses understanding. So that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or could ever imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lighthouse community, I love you. Looking forward to seeing many of you next week. Have a wonderful week. Now go be the church.